So that's sort of the state of, of agile. People are, oh, are you, I am more agile than you. Your company is more. Nobody cares how agile you are. How good are you at delivering value to your stakeholders? And if an agile technique can help you do that, good. But talk about how good you are delivering value to your stakeholders and optimize everything to make that happen. You're listening to the Scraping Toast Show, the podcast that inspires you and your organization to look past the current horizon and figure out what it might mean for you to become even more effective. I'm your host, Yussi Makala, and I'm an independent product development consultant. In this podcast, I go deep and explore a multitude of topics to shine some light on long-lost wisdom so that you don't have to keep scraping that burnt toast anymore. Who wants to do that anyway? So, hand on heart, how confident are you really in your capability of developing new products or services, be it physical, digital or both? Wouldn't it be great to actually sleep at night and not have to worry about any nasty surprises project after project, organization after organization? In today's episode I catch up with Kai Gilb, an entrepreneur and a product development expert to discuss what it actually takes to be successful at product development. Kai is a highly experienced consultant and a trainer running his company Gilb International together with his, his father Tom Gilb, who should require no introduction. The methods they have developed are extremely robust and systematic based on solid engineering principles and Kai has been traveling around the world teaching large enterprises how to apply them and thus become a more competitive development organization. We discuss some of the key ingredients of product development, concrete ways of applying them, the state of IT in general, but also some of his future plans working with artificial intelligence. I highly, highly recommend you to listen to his interview, especially if you are about to or already have engaged yourself in any sort of agile software development. You don't want to miss what he has to say. I hope you enjoy it. Let's start. Um, all right, all right, Kai, let's get started. I'm pretty happy about having you as a guest. I've been um, waiting and planning for this for, for quite some time now, so very excited. Um, but you you are known as a consultant and a teacher or a trainer, right? Yeah. Uh, but I think I've heard you uh, say somewhere that that wasn't really your first plan or choice of like what do you want to be when you're adult right i think was it a pi airline pilot or something like that yeah my formal education is as an airline pilot i went uh, to the us as a young man and i uh, i went to you know pilot school and uh, i became a flight instructor and then yeah but that wasn't actually my dream my dream was to become a professional windsurfer so, so this actually all started, I was on, I, I, uh, I wanted to be a professional windsurfer and, you know, I was 17 maybe. Uh, and I took a course with my father on how to succeed in, in product development. Uh, and I planned how to become a professional windsurfer. Mm -hmm. And, uh, and then, you know, the, the thing to do was to get to Hawaii and you know practice the trade over there because 
you know, that's where where all the action was. That's where. <laughs> so I was just I didn't want to become a pilot. I just wanted to figure out how do, how do I get to to Hawaii so I can practice so I can become a professional windsurfer. So I, I actually made a, a plan using these value first methods where, you know, I quantified all the values and I set the, you know, the big sort of mission to, to win the World Cup in windsurfing. <laughs> and, and then I did a value decision table where I evaluated, okay, how, how I was, I was 17. I had no money. Uh, you know, I was in <laughs> Norway. And if you, if you take, a, if you take like a, the globe and you stick, you know, a, a line straight down, you pretty much end up in Hawaii, you know, it pops out. Yeah, it's yeah. pretty much on the other, it's 12 hours time difference between Hawaii and Norway. And it's pretty much the other side of the globe. So how do you do that? Right. So, so I made that plan and the plan was if I, if I uh, went to pilot school, I would get a loan. I would have some kind of a, a, a job to, to keep me going while, while, uh, I was actually windsurfing. So that's what I did. So I went to pilot school. I followed my plan, my value first plan. I went to pilot school. I got the loan. I, I, and then immediately after pilot school, I, I, I got on a, which was in South Carolina on the East coast of the U S. And then I went, I flew over to, to Maui where, where, you know, the best windsurfing, uh, that's an island on Hawaii, the best windsurfing island. And I applied for a job and I got a job as a flight instructor, a little bit flying tourists around um, mm -hmm. on the airport there. And, and then what happens is um, there are trade winds in the, in, on Hawaii. Yep. So they kick in like 1130 AM, you know, that's when they kick in. So I try to do all my flying, you know, in the morning with all my students. And then I try to get off. And then I windsurfed, and then in the evening again, the, the wind mellowed, and I would meet my, my students again. And, uh, yeah, so that's, uh, that's what I wanted yeah. to be, a professional windsurfer. I did, uh, you're probably going to ask, so, you know, I, I did, um, I, I never became professional. But I became pretty <laughs> damn good, and I had so much fun, and I was probably too yeah. young to do the right steps to become professional. Because as a, you know, a, a teenager living... My, my dream life on Hawaii, you know, windsurfing every day, flying in the morning, having fun with the boys and the girls. You know, we, we had a lot of fun. And I did, I did you know, participate in the, um, in the World Cup, in wave sailing, in big waves. Oh. Not, not too many people from Norway or Sweden have, <laughs> yeah, have done that. With Anders Bringdal was there, you know, the Swedish guy was really yeah. good. So, yeah, so I, I did the... Uh, compete at Hukipa, the mm. big, you know, the big wave spot over there. So, uh, but that's about as far as I got on the professional career. Yeah. This begs the question, like, how did you end up from that place to where you are now working with consulting? And that yeah. Stuff? yeah, well, so, I mean, it, it starts with my, my father, Tom Gilb. He has been, uh, you know, developing these methods for how to, to, how to, to succeed in product development. Um, starting from his, his, he started from software. I'm not really a software only guy, but, uh, his, he, you know, came, he started with IBM and, mm. and he started uh, developing methods for how to succeed in this, you know, fast moving world of IT. And, um, 
so so that started with my course there and then i i understood that wow these methods were really they were really cool and interesting and sharp and and uh, and then i went from hawaii i actually uh had some body pains uh you know a lot of windsurfing yep. all day long and maybe not eating so healthy because i didn't actually have any money so I got started. So I, I, my, my parents actually talked me into trying more flying things. So I went to LA, Los Angeles, mm. uh, and I got a, a better flying job over there. And, and then I, uh, there's some in, in, when you fly, there are licenses and the highest license is called in the U S is called an airline transport pilot license. That's mm. like the highest license you can get. And then on top of that, you get type ratings, which is the more the specific planes, like the big planes. Yeah. Uh, but so I, I qualified for an airline transport pilot license in that I had all my hours. You had to have like with multi-engine instrument, they're kind mm. of requirements. So I had all of those requirements. I had taken the written test and the flight test, but I wasn't old enough. You had to be... 23, I think. And I was like, I was actually 21, but almost 22. So it was like more than a year until I could actually get that license and, uh, and then progress in the flying career. Uh, and that's when I decided, well, let's take a, a break and work with my father uh, a little bit and see how that, how I like that. Actually, the reason, okay, now I remember. The reason it's a long time ago. The reason yeah. I the reason I decided to try that was I was I had a girlfriend, Allison, and Allison was an environmental lawyer, and uh, and uh, she was running a, a, a an organization called Bridge the Gap, and Bridge the Gap was they were trying to shut down, and they actually succeeded to shut down a nuclear reactor that was placed in the middle of the city. And they could document, uh, you know, people having birth defects, et cetera, around mm. this. And they managed, it was the first time in history that somebody shut down, uh, you know, a, 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 like an organization, like a nonprofit organization, managed right. to shut down uh, a nuclear reactor. Uh, so when I was hanging with her, I got all these environmental ideas, you know, pro-environment yep. kind of things. And this is way back when nobody was talking about the environment, really, right? Um, yeah, so, so the reason I got into the line of work of how to succeed in product development was I wanted to help the environmental organizations do a better job of planning mm -hmm. their projects. That's how I got into it. So, so I took that year off uh, to see if that was something I could do, something I understood, something I was talented at. And uh, basically, I never went back to flying. So since that day, I haven't, you know, I was 20, almost 22. I haven't really flown. And I've been focusing on on this profession, you know. Yeah. Yeah. That's, uh, that's quite a story. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Career progression of another kind. And I think that's part of, part of life, no? I mean, we yeah. have to, you have to roll with the punches. And because this has to do with, with planning. So... Uh, you know, we have, if you, if you plan too much detail, <laughs> you're, you're not open to the realities of life that comes and you learn something and you, you grow and you get some new insights. 
And then you have to have a, a, a way of planning where you're able to adjust according to all these new inputs that come. Exactly. So, so, uh, so, so that's kind of where the ag whole agile community is, isn't it? Uh, yes and no, I guess. <laughs> yeah, yes <laughs> and no, because uh, yeah, the uh, that's maybe time for another episode. Like my opinions about the uh, agile, like how it's practiced today, and <clears throat> but uh, yeah, I, I guess you're right. Yeah, I mean, what I'm saying is the part of agile where they're trying to do a little bit at a time and learn mm. as they go, which is the the good. I think is the on oh, not only. The, the the good part of agile mm. uh, there's so much junk there that's incredible yep. but that's that's uh that's probably a good idea you know yeah don't yeah, plan yeah. all the little details in like mm. a what was used to be called a big bang you know everything there and then execute you have to plan and go plan and go, plan and go. yeah I've been having this sort of a, or doing a, a deep dive if you will into the uh <clears throat> Uh, writings of your father and, and the articles you both have put out there and, and, and you also have written books. Um, I watched a lot of videos and, and we've been discussing uh, face to face previously. <clears throat> and there's one thing that strikes me, uh, and that is like both when it comes to you and, and your father, there's a, you seem to have like a strong passion for uh, product development and, and succeeding in that. Uh, where does that passion come from? It's <laughs> a good question. Um, you know, I, you know, we could go deeper, right? Where does any passion come from? Because I was passion, <laughs> I was really passionate about windsurfing too, uh, because I loved it, mm. and I think I, I love uh, I love being able to to meet with people and work with them and and create some kind of change where where you see that uh they get little aha moments and like wow yeah that's that's the way we should do it yeah that's that makes sense right so mm -hmm. so and and that feeds into me where you know that feeds my passion so when i i see that we can you know help people uh actually succeed in in product development and and on the other side there there's frustration I mean, to be honest, right? <laughs> okay. It's not, it's not like I'm all happy, passionate because the, I mean, the frustration is there because how do I say this nicely? Most people are idiots. Is that, is that a nice way to say it? <laughs> you can um, say it in what a way. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I mean, most people that are even much smarter than me, like I'm not talking about intelligence here, but most people are followers and they happen I mean, maybe you don't want to talk about Agile, but Agile is so prevalent these days in product development, especially in software, mm. or maybe yeah. mainly in software. And, uh, and, and those guys are followers and they don't have an inch of their own thinking. So, I, you know, like I'm, I'm looking at LinkedIn, I'm mm. looking at these discussions they have on, oh, I am Agile, I'm more Agile than you. And it's, it's super sad. Yeah. And, and then, and then we come with really good ideas like, oh, you know, you should do it like this and like that. And people don't seem to be able to, 
to move from the popular to what's right, move from what the fad or what is pushed by American salespeople to mm. what really works for them. And that's mm. where the frustration comes. Even if people understand like this is dumb and this is the right way to do it, people still keep doing the dumb thing and they claim the, the culture or the, you know, it's so hard right. to move, the, it's so hard to change what everybody's doing. So they keep doing this dumb thing that leads to failure when they know there is a way that leads to success. And that's, that's the frustrating part. Hmm. <laughs> What is that keeps you going then? Um, well, I mean, we have lots of success. The, the guys that do the right thing, uh, hmm. you know, again and again, succeed wildly. Um, so how do I uh, do this again? <laughs> so the the guys who make sure it's properly off uh, the guys the guys who uh, the guys who um, who does uh, in our case value first I'm not saying that's the only only way but the guys who do value first uh, they they tend to have extremely you know great success and And that's that's a lot of fun, a lot of mm. you know. I, I really love that, and that's that's what keeps me going. Yeah. Um, but uh, I I have um, I have just uh, made a big change in my uh, career, and that is I am now uh, working with a company and sort of mainly one company. Mm -hmm. uh, as as uh you know an owner and uh where where instead of teaching everybody i'm gonna be on the doing part <laughs> <laughs> that, that seems to be common path for many that i talk to <clears throat> who are doing some sort of training or consulting that eventually get fed up with telling people how to do and then just do it themselves yeah Yeah. So, so, uh, so right now I, I still have, uh, you know, Gilb International, my consultancy, uh, uh, company, uh, but I will only work with people that are really motivated and, uh, I, I don't need the business. Uh, so only people that come to me and say, Hey, I really want this. I'm committed. You know, right. we have a budget. We have people. We want to do this. Those guys I will work with. Uh, I, I am not going to be dragging anybody along anymore. So for now, yeah. So we'll see if that changes. <laughs> but but uh, yeah. So that's where I'm at now. Uh, you know. So if a company comes and say hey, we really want to train these guys and we have a we really want to do the right thing to to make it happen, mm. I'm available. Uh, and I'm yeah. And that's it. Mm. I'm not available for anybody else. <laughs> and I have an online course, which you do. You did. You did the online course, right? Right. So, I have an excellent online course for everybody else. Mm. Right. So it's you know it's cheap. It's fantastic. Uh, it teaches people how to do things right, and you know you can just go and take that. Uh, and uh, and uh, yeah. So that's that's where I'm at right now. So, so I'm working day and night really on one in, in one company mm. right now that I'm part owner of. Yeah. 
Where do you get the uh, like get new inspiration or uh, new learning from these days? Right. Okay. So um, I always learn from my clients. Mm. <laughs> right. So when you go in and you uh, you know you because I've been working you know with uh, lots of different industries uh, in lots of different segments. Mm. So. So I get a lot of different challenges that we need to solve. So even even though the methods that I teach, uh, you know, are, are kind of great and works, etc., each each uh, challenge is different, and you don't just apply that same old method the same old way. Mm. Like agile, a lot of agile teach teach to practice, right? And it's like, oh, that's not Scrum. You have to do it like that. It's like, well. Depends on your problem. <laughs> they don't have. They don't have. They don't have this ability to adapt. Uh, you know, they they claim that this is the right way and that's the wrong way. And that's for me. That's I don't know. Um, so so whenever I go into a company, I always uh, work with what they have and then make the method support. Uh, you know, so I need to. Ch- you need to change the method. You need to change everything to make success happen. Mm. So, so in doing that again and again, uh, of course I learn. And then you said these days, and of course now I'm doing this in, in, uh, graph metrics, you know, mm. my own company. Um, so that's, that's where I get inspiration mm. from right now, uh, implementing this into our little company. Mm. Yeah. Is there has anything changed if you compare like how you approach this work back in the day when you were uh younger compared to to today like what's what yeah so so um uh you know many people don't know but my father is sort of the the known as a grandfather of agile uh, in that he actually inspired uh, like a lot of those guys that signed the Agile Manifesto, people are saying, "Oh, those are the yeah. grand." But they're really the sort of the parents of that that popular move. But they were inspired by my father's work again. So when I was, and I was part of that uh, early. So back in the eighties, when you know the people were not talking eighty nineties nineties, yeah, back in the nineties um, when people were not talking about Agile, etc. We were saying, okay, uh, so like, for instance, I remember we were working for Ericsson uh, uh, that, that does a mobile base station. Right. We did a lot of work for them. And they had these big projects, right? With I, I think uh, on the base station, there were 20 disciplines and one was software. And then there were 19 other disciplines, right? S- completely separate disciplines you had to master to make a, a, a base station. And, uh, you know, so, so then they had this, uh, they had what, what, what they called props, which was a, a stereotypical waterfall method, right? It was like a U model and they, they called it props. And, um, and, uh, you know, and, and the development of that, you know, going through that model, that waterfall model, we're talking two years plan, which turned out to be five years, you know, <laughs> so there's, very typical waterfall model, right. big plan, lots of moving parts, lots of people. Uh, software was big, but just one of nine out uh, of twenty. And um, uh, and then Tom and I come along, and we're saying, okay, we're going to do things differently. We're going to break your two-year project into two uh, percent uh, increments. 
Mm. So we, so you know, and uh, so we're like, okay, so every month you actually have to ship value. Now, not not what agile people ship, right? Potentially shippable code or something. No, they have to ship actual value to the customers. Uh, or that's wrong to the stakeholders, <laughs> not always customers. So, so back then, people were like, "Are you nuts? You can't take this two-year thing and ship value every every month." Um, and and so at that point, nobody had this idea of breaking it up. Right now, so this has changed. This is. Uh, a change, you know, that Agile has brought where people at least know about the idea if they're not practicing it already, they already, they at least know about the idea that, you know, you can break things up. So before we had to teach people not just the value part, how to define the outcomes and the mm -hmm. values and then how to prioritize and then how to break things up into short cycles. Uh, so, so that's changed. We don't, we don't have much struggle teaching people how to break things up. It's more accepted. Yeah. Uh, but what people still don't have is any understanding of, of defining and focusing on the values and prioritizing to achieve those values. So they, they, and, and then the, the delivering things in short cycles, people got all wrong because they think it's short cycles of, building and and delivering what you built not solutions uh, sorry not not delivering value i i just saw on uh linkedin i i have uh, you know there's lots of people i have a uh, yeah anyway so on linkedin there was um, a discussion going you know and several people repost mm. and there was this drawing about uh how to do what i call evolutionary delivery like value delivery uh, and there were a drawing and then there was like a car and how you, how you build a car. And, you know, they were saying, is it like you build a wheel and then the engine and then, and then you sort of piece it together and say, no, 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 that's not it. And, and then there were different <laughs> alternatives and, and they were arguing what is the right way to do it. Yeah. All of them were missing the, 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 the key element, you know, the, that what you have to deliver for each cycle is value to stakeholders. Mm. So they're all focused on the building part. How do you build it? Do you build it, you know, organically or like one part at a time, or do you build it like this, or do you build it like that? That's all their options. That the, the in my book, the right option is not even on the table. The, their understanding of uh, nobody cares about your code or what you build or your solutions, they care about the improvements, the values, the, the, that, that the, it, the stakeholder gets. What would, what would be a good example of a stakeholder value? A stakeholder value would be that I make more money. If I'm the stakeholder, you deliver something to me and I make more money. Or I serve my customers better. Or... Um, uh, uh, the the doctor heals more patients, mm. or yeah. So these are these are these are the values you need to <laughs> break. Mm. So when you think about how do you break up, you break up into 
uh, you know, before a doctor was able to have an 80% uh, success rate in their surgery, and then they move that to 81%. That would be real value delivered to stakeholders. And then they keep moving, mm. right? That's the focus. That's what you deliver every cycle. Some real improvement to real stakeholders. Exactly. That's, that changes everything. And that's not what people are discussing. They're, they're talking about building. So uh, I'll give you another example. So we actually, so people are, are talking about scaling agile, right? So, You're oh, stealing all you my know. questions here. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I'm sorry. No, 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 no. You get me going. Yeah. You get me going. Because people are talking about scaling agile. You can still, you can still ask again. We can talk more about it. Yeah. But I have an example here. And, um, and like I said, we did agile in the 90s with Eric's mobile base stations with 20 disciplines. And we were hundreds of people working on the same projects. And we did things in short cycles. And, and they don't, and, and the agile people today don't understand how we did that because they're thinking building, not outcomes. They're thinking, uh, teams of teams, something like that. They're like, they're think, thinking about the process, not the outcomes. So that's all, uh, effed up. You know, they, <laughs> they, they all mess up. So. So another example, which was what I was thinking about, we were teaching this to Boeing. Uh, you know, how, how to create an aircraft, what I call evolutionary, mm. right? So then, you know, if you ask those agile guys who were thinking, well, you know, how do you, so you have, you know, how long time does it take to create an aircraft, right? It takes many, many years. And then we were telling them, no, no, you need to break it up into week weekly or at Boeing, to be real, it was monthly. We didn't do weekly cycles there. It's big, big things happening. Yeah. So monthly cycles. And of course, you can't make one wing and then, then the other wing, you know, you, how do you do this? And the only way that I know of, I'm sure there are other ways, the only way to crack that, that I know of, is to deliver the outcomes. Once you deliver the outcomes in cycles, not the product, not the build, not the hardware and the software, but the outcomes, then options become available. So what we did, like we, for instance, uh, we started, and this is a trick, <laughs> this is one, or a trick and a principle for all of you. Start with whatever is there, always. Never say always, almost always, right? <laughs> almost always start with whatever is there. The, 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 the tendency people have is to think, oh, I need to, I need, I need a clean slate. I'm going to make this fantastic system. So I need a clean slate. I need to, uh, start from scratch. Ah, then how are you going to deliver real value to stakeholders next month? <laughs> yeah. Right? That's not going to be easy. So we, we, what we said was, no, no, you start with the aircrafts you already have. Even though the aircraft you're going to end up with won't have a single component of the old, won't be anything resembling the old. You start with the old. Then what we did was, uh, this was not a monthly cycle, but, but like some of the big cycles was we, we developed aircraft wings. Then we put on the old, fuselage. Hmm. 
and tested out the aerodynamics, etc. Right? Did we improve efficiency? Blah blah blah. Uh, and on the smaller things, uh, we we created new toilets <laughs> that we actually put into existing. Yeah, yeah. The toilet system is is a huge system, yeah. right? It's not a tiny little. Uh, creating a toilet system on an aircraft <laughs> is not a little little a venture, joke. right? It's a it's not a joke. It's it's very complicated, and. So, but to get everything working, we built it into the old aircrafts, the new, the new toilets and engineered it and with new ideas. And, and then we put it in the old ones and we kept doing that, you know, on the smaller components, et cetera. Right. So, so that way they were able to. So, okay. So where's the, again, it's not about the toilet. It's a value, right? So if you can get this new toilet into the, old aircraft next time you fly and uh, you know you need to go to the toilet new value is delivered because that toilet is already more comfortable for right. the passenger uh, and and also more efficient for the crew to handle right less maintenance etc cetera, etc cetera. so if you can get that into the existing aircrafts uh, then you're delivering value Mm. And then, of course, if you really, you know, like if you're at Boeing and you're uh, tasked to deliver value next month, it's not going to be to the end customer. So this is another uh, mistake that uh, people uh, do is they talk about users a lot. Well, that's, it's not, that's not the mistake, but almost solely. So they, they use things like user stories. It's very user focused and users are important, right? So don't, don't stop that, <laughs> but you need to expand it to stakeholders. So where user is one stakeholder, and then you need to think about the 30, 40, 50 other stakeholders to be successful in product development. So, you know, if we get user stories, is this one little part of the picture. So think about all the stakeholders. So, so the, the 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 value we delivered is not all to end customers, mm. you know, next month, in a, because it takes long time for approval, and there's just so much going on yeah. when you build an aircraft, and you know, thorough thorough testing before you start looking for improve, uh, approval, etc. Even for toilets, right? Um, so, like, you know, like if you have a badge in an aircraft, like. Um, you know, the, where it says toilet or something mm. is here or don't flush this stuff. You, you, you can't just put a batch up there. That batch needs approval, right? <laughs> you know, yeah. that's, that's just how it is. It takes a long time. So, uh, yeah. So, so what you do is you think about other stakeholders and you deliver value to them. And those can be internal within Boeing mm. in this case or external Finally, you know, like passengers and pilots and people that operate and maintain aircrafts, etc., and production and yeah. So you keep thinking about all the different stakeholders, internal, external, and keep delivering value, value, value to them. Uh, then you're on the winning yeah. Yeah. streak or team. Like a clockwork, the organization ticks second after second. Or like a machine, it produces piece by piece, at the same rate day in, day out. 
and at the first sign of trouble you just replace the cogs in the machine to ensure smooth operation again. We then go on and control the output of the machine and try to find ways to squeeze even more things out of it. That to me seems to be the underlying pattern of thought we are stuck in, dictating how we think about an organized creative endeavor such as product development. We don't seem to understand the difference between producing an existing product and developing new ones when, in fact, they are very different things by nature. Just listen to the vocabulary we use. The software industry, software architecture, build software, throughput, blah blah blah. It's all words taken from the world of construction and factories. The ghost of Frederick Taylor is ever so present with us still to this day. The division of labor is no different as we still have the leaders telling us what features to build that then gets delegated to the experts to design that solution. Once done, the experts hand the solution finally over to the programmers, the typists I mean, whose job it is then to produce that solution as fast as possible. And like icing on a cake, we have the modern day production foremen and project managers in the form of product owners and agile coaches who ensure adherence to a given process and work on optimizing the teams and their output by pulling tools from physical factory floor management directly into a creative, almost chaotic world of development. To a large degree, knowledge work seems to be operated as factories. There's no difference. And for some reason, we almost never seem to talk about or define the value we want to deliver as if everything we build automatically contains value, or so we believe at least. That to me sounds sketchy. Alright, let's continue with the interview and hear what Morkai has to say about this. Think about, you know, to, to succeed in product development, uh, there are many things, but let's, let's at least three main categories you need to to have control over. One is you need to uh, define and focus on delivering the outcomes. Second, you need to be able to prioritize to achieve those outcomes. And third, you need somehow to be able to deliver your ideas, etc., that you prioritized, right? So if you have those three, you have um, some good elements in place. Mm. Right. And on top of that, there's psychology and people and all that to make, to make this happen. Right. Now, if you look at agile, all the techniques, there are lots of techniques within agile, right? That they're pushing, uh, selling, right? <laughs> Trying to sell you guys. So now, which of those techniques are really sharp on the outcomes? Yeah. Can you, can you name a technique within agile, which isn't my name on? Uh, that is really good for defining the outcomes you want to achieve. Doesn't exist. All those people running around, that's number one. If you don't have that, forget number two and three. I mean, that's, that's ridiculous. So you, that's completely missing in the discussion. The number one thing, which is what we're trying to achieve and deliver to our stakeholders, is missing is completely absent from all the techniques and tools and books and discussions and, and you know, uh, agile champions, whatever they call themselves. Uh, it's completely missing from the training from everywhere. Hmm. This is completely ridiculous. Okay, number two, prioritization, right? Like a product owner or something is supposed to prioritize. In, in where is that? 
what methods do you have to do any kind of prioritization? Now, uh, Moscow, like high, medium, low kind of priority is not prioritization. It is, it is labeling the ideas with what you already have prioritized it at. Mm. How did you decide that something has high priority? Is different than labeling it after you've decided it, right? And labeling it like that, like Moscow or high, medium, low, is a really dumb idea. But at least it's 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 recognizing that something has higher priority mm. than others. But the technique for deciding which is higher yeah. is missing. And what's the thinking behind the decision? Then? <laughs> it's missing, and it has to be missing because you haven't done the outcomes. Mm. You cannot do it without the outcomes. So, so you know you don't have the, you don't have the basics to do it. So, so you're missing that what we're trying to achieve, the outcomes. You're missing the prioritization techniques, and then they're running around trying to do agile things, which is a lot of building and. Uh, I don't know what it all is. It, it, it's people management, right? Like, uh, and processes, uh, you know, we should be teams and we should have stand-up meetings and we should do peer programming and we should, do, you know, whatever, whatever. And, and, and this uh, user stories. And then you talk to people who develop user stories and say, they're not really the requirements. They're just meant to be discussions for requirements. Okay. How do you write those requirements? And there's nothing, mm. right? But there are, what, whatever they have is here. On, on that last element, but that cannot be done if you don't have the first one, and it's it's uh, fruitless unless you know how to prioritize. So that's sort of the state of of agile. People are oh, I, I am more agile than you. Your company is more. Nobody cares how agile you are. How good are you at delivering value to your stakeholders? And if an agile technique can help you do that, good. But Talk about how good you are delivering value to your stakeholders and optimize everything to make that happen. Thank you. <laughs> That's exactly exactly right. I know. I, I know. Um, I, I know you know all of this, right? That's why we're talking. I'm not yeah. trying to preach to you. I'm, I'm saying to the listener: yeah. think, wake up, wake up a little bit. The agile guys are trying to sell you crap because that makes them money. Is not for the best of your own interest. <laughs> uh, if you go back to some of these best uh, examples you've, you've witnessed and been part of, can, can you like yeah. sort of describe what the feeling was like? What 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 would you see or hear there that's different from from the others? Not so maybe successful examples. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Okay, so uh, I keep referring, it's a little old now, but uh, there's a company in Norway called Confirmit. The thing is, a lot of these companies are not wanting to share, mm -hmm. right? The, the, especially the big corporations that I work with, banks and Intel and those guys, they're not super willing to share. <laughs> so, uh, and that also constrains me from sharing. But some of the smaller companies, no they like okay. to get their, <laughs> no, but they like to get things, they like to get their names out. Yeah. So, Confirm it is one of those that are willing to share. So, uh, okay. So confirm it. They, they delivered, um, uh, software as a service, uh, and it was 
uh, surveys, big surveys with thousands of you know people doing surveys, kind of software, and and uh, they had been hacking their software together, you know, as a startup mm-hmm. with no particular method, and then and then they uh, started getting bigger and bigger customers, and then those customers, uh, Nokia, Microsoft, Boeing, again. Uh, they started demanding, say, hey, you guys need to have a defined process. And they suggest typically some kind of waterfall Mm -hmm. back then and process. And then these guys were like, whoa, you know, this is, we're a little Norwegian company. We're just a handful of employees. I forget, less than 20. Um, These processes that is required to deliver to the big guys are going to kill us. So they started looking around and they, they found us, Tom, Tom and myself. We were at the conference and we, uh, we held a talk and then they said, uh, hey guys, come and help us. So what happened was, uh, you know, we taught them how to uh, have long-term outcome focus. So that's, that's like the, you know, you, this is like the missing part with Agile. They do things in short cycles, but they're like a, a chicken. You know, you, you chop the head off and they run around very fast, but they don't know where they're going. So you need the head on the chicken with a, <laughs> a target over there. So we, we taught them how to create the target for like one year, even two years out in time or, you know, six months out in time. And then how to prioritize to achieve those, those targets. Uh, with, with prioritization and then short delivery, weekly cycles they did. Uh, now, then to your question, you know, what was the feeling? And uh, for, I think, at least 10 years, nobody quit in that company. They had zero uh, turnaround. They they only hired people. They... Uh, they became so good that their big competitor, uh, Pulse Train, uh, in in the, in London, which was a, a much larger organization, uh, uh, got no new customers. All customers went to uh, to confirm it, and of course, uh, okay, and then. Uh, they they had uh, they approached uh, they approached their customers and said, uh, "Okay, there's a new there's a new way of doing business. Uh, you guys have been writing these requirements, and you look at the requirements. They're what I call solutions or design. They're not." the required outcomes. Right. There are the things, right? Like, uh, you know, we need the GUI to be like this. We need whatever. Uh, so they said, we're not going to take that as requirements from our customers anymore. We want to focus on the outcomes, the improvements you want to achieve. And some of their customers were saying, well, we'll let you try and see what happens. <laughs> they didn't necessarily believe in Confirm it could do it. But uh, but Boeing, I don't know why it's so much Boeing. But <laughs> Boeing said Boeing is real. Boeing Boeing was there, and they said no. Uh, we have written, you know, a, a, a big thick requirement specification with all the requirements, which was really solutions for what they expect for the next release. 
And that's what they want them to deliver. Now, what Confirm it did was exciting. They said, okay, uh, if we can't convince, convince you, what we'll do is we'll take your requirement specification and we will sign it saying we will deliver that. And then we will go back to Norway and we won't even try. <laughs> and, you know, Americans, they like to sue, right? If you don't, yeah. you know, you sign the contract, you don't even try, they'll sue you and they'll win, right? So this is very gutsy. Uh, and then they went back to Norway and then they looked at those solutions and say, what are, what are they actually trying to achieve? What are the outcomes, improvements that they want to achieve? And then they uh, define that and then say, okay, what is the best way of achieving those things? Uh, is that what um, Boeing was suggesting or is there better ways? And they found better, better ways for everything. And then they started delivering the, the much smarter things to get the actual outcomes that they thought uh, Boeing uh, would want. Mm. And of course, Boeing was super happy. They didn't sue them at all, right? Because they really, when you start delivering real value to real stakeholders, they're not going to sue you. They're going to love you. Everybody's doing the opposite. Everybody's delivering solutions and technology and things are just getting worse or difficult or I need to train people now because of this new IT system. <laughs> so they, they turn it completely around. Uh, they had a, uh, when they started working with us, they had a one-week training course to learn how to to use their software. Mm. Right? You know, there was for profession. It was a profession to use the software, and it wasn't like uh, you know a little side app. It was the main app for certain people, their job. Right. So they could do a one-week training course. Yeah. They reduced that to zero-day training course. <laughs> uh, are Boeing going to be unhappy about that? No. Yeah. <laughs> right? It was that much easier to use. They, they were able to handle, I forget the exact numbers now, but it was like 3,000 respondents uh, simultaneously on the system. And they moved that up to like 30 and 300,000 on the same hardware in this case. So, uh, they they had um, they had okay uh, they had like they create this survey and there are thousands of options and things and then they you push generate survey that used to take two hours like you click and then two hours later comes the survey and you can now go out and do the survey you can execute it they moved that from two hours to fifteen seconds hmm. on the same hardware again right. So, you know, Boeing and the other customers, they were not unhappy. They were thrilled. In fact, they were so thrilled that all new business went only to confirm it. They're, like I said, their competitor in London called Pulsetrain uh, didn't get any new customers. They were uh, uh, on their way to going bankrupt and they were acquired by guess who? <laughs> Confirm it. Confirm it acquired their big competitor with lots of employees. There were just a few guys in Oslo. They acquired them and uh, and they sent Tom and me over to train the new Confirm it, mm. the old Pulse train. Yeah. So 
the, okay, so the actual question was how do people, what's the energy like? It was so much fun. Oh, the other, the other thing that, the, that was fun for the developers, they were no longer asked to do a certain solution. They were asked to come up with the solutions themselves that created the better outcome, M- meaning they were allowed to be creative exactly. and use their skills and knowledge of, of their business, which happened to be much better than Boeing. Boeings are good at making aircrafts. <laughs> That's their skill. They're not survey experts. Hmm. So, so the developers loved being able to, oh, I, I, you know, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to find the best way to solve this. And then when you get your idea on the priority list, like that's the most, you know, that's a, the highest priority to your idea. The developers love that, right? Seeing their idea come to fruition and they put in the extra effort. Hmm. Let's say that let's let's say I had an idea and it was they did one week cycles right, and at the end of the cycle, it wasn't quite perfect yet. So uh, let's say that my idea was chosen. We worked on my idea end of the cycle, and it wasn't quite perfect yet. It wasn't quite right. Guess what I'm gonna do? I'm gonna work like a madman to make sure that my idea looks like a success <laughs> because it is a success, right? So you get really inspired developers uh, because they own the ideas. All the ideas that they build were their ideas. Right. Yeah. Yeah. So nobody quit for 10 years in a company where people are coming and go, like in the culture where people are coming and going all the time. For 10 years, nobody quit. It was, uh, you know, they were growing. They went on the stock market. They, you know, they were just success, 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 because they define success for their stakeholders and focused on delivering that success, mm-hmm. not being deep diving into, um, you know, delivering this technology and that technology and blockchain and whatnot, just because it's fun technologies. Right. What makes it so appealing to me, at least, is the way it makes everything so logical and coherent. By focusing on the right thing, you solve or dissolve even not just your main problem, but you get rid of multiple undesirable effects, such as the unengaged employees that you alluded to, as they are all connected and stem from the same core issue. I think it's just fantastic. Yeah. Um, the the challenge yeah. the challenge comes with a culture change, right? So the the you know the methods are are fantastic at creating success and like you say um, everything follows once you have this these things in place clear outcomes good way to prioritize breaking things up in short cycles of value once you have that in place everything follows Uh, but somehow culture change uh, is is challenging Mm. Uh, the driver should be there because success is at the other end. It's very clear. Yeah, yeah. Uh, but still, it's challenging. Yeah. Hey, just a short break here before we continue with the episode. I would love to hear your feedback on this show and this episode as I'm new to podcasting. So please, please, please do me a favor and get in touch. 
You'll find me on various social media with the handle at Scraping Toast Podcast. You're also welcome to email me at contact at scrapingtoasts.com. If you'd like to know more, you can of course check out the website at scrapingtoasts.com where you'll find all the episodes and more information. So let me know what worked or didn't work for you about this episode or the show in general so that I can make it better and keep creating interesting content. And of course, please, if you like what I'm doing, please hit that subscribe button wherever you are listening to this podcast. I would appreciate that a lot. All right, back to the episode. Uncertainty is inherent in new product development. There are no two ways about it, so we just have to live with it, I guess. How do you think we should deal with it? Right. So, okay. So I think, um, uh, again, you, we need to look at these three steps. Uh, it's uncertainty of not achieving the outcomes we want to achieve, right? We, we, we want, we should have defined the outcomes we want to achieve for the stakeholders. And then we can talk about uncertainty of achieving or not achieving that with the solutions we pick. How do we pick the solutions? With number two, we prioritize. Uh, so the thing is, if you don't have the outcomes defined, uh, what you have is you have some stakeholders, maybe customers, expecting certain things, but you are maybe de de developing and delivering something completely different. You may be not even trying to deliver what they're expecting. Uh, so what's the uncertainty of or certainty? You're almost certain not to deliver successful. <laughs> I would say with today's um, uh, agile methods, you almost don't have to worry about it because you are, per definition, certainly not going to deliver what is expected because you haven't agreed <laughs> on it, right? So you're 100% certain to fail. <laughs> it, it's almost that bad, right? You, you have yeah. a little back and forth and maybe you figure something out. Most people don't have super happy customers, right? Let's define mm. success as your customers as, wow, this is the best improvements we ever got. Our business is so much better now because what you delivered to us, we're super happy. How can we pay you more so that you can give us more, right? Yeah. Let's define that as success, like mm -hmm. confirm it had. With the current agile methods, uh, I would say uh, your uncertainty or certainty, you're 100% certain, I would say, at failure. <laughs> it's, mm. it's almost there. So, But if you start defining the outcomes and you agree with your customers and other stakeholders what improvements you want to achieve, now you can start uh, looking at uh, solutions to achieve it and talk about the certainty or uncertainty of achieving it. Right. Mm. Right? And uh, as you know, uh, you know, you, you've seen how we do these value decision tables where we uh, look at the outcomes and look at the solutions and we do the, the prioritization and we look at what are the improvements we think we're going to get if we apply this solution, uh, what are the improvements to the outcomes we think we're going to get? And then there we put an uncertainty rating. We have a little, we have a tool mm -hmm. Uh, called value first um, val plan method is called value first but the tool is called val plan and there we have this uncertainty slider and you say you slide it from uh, this is just a random number like mm. the improve okay the number is the improvement we think we're going to get on the outcomes that we have quantified and defined thoroughly right so people don't even have this idea so how can they have an uncertainty i don't know but 
so then we we say we think this solution is going to help us ten percent towards uh, it, making that improvement, mm. right? That we have quantified. Then we have a slider who says, "Well, how certain are you of this?" And you can go from this is just a random number to you heard about somebody done it, but you don't really have anything written to somebody done it and uh, written it up, and that's what they got. And and so we've done it, but only once. Uh, and that's the kind of results we got, but it was kind of different, but we did it. And then into, we've done it many times until for sure this is going to happen, right? This is a repeatable thing. Everybody who's done this, we have done this. It happens every time. So then we, so we, we not only quantify the outcome, we quantify the uncertainty. <laughs> hmm. Okay. Then you can still go wrong. That's where the, the delivering things in short cycle comes in. It's a learning cycle. It's not right. a building cycle. It's a learning about what works and what doesn't, what, you know, and thereby eliminating your uncertainty. So what you could do is you, uh, you, you uh, define your outcomes, you uh, do the prioritization of your, the ideas you have to, to achieve your outcomes, then you look at which one has a, on your slider, which one has the highest uncertainty, but has really big gains if we are right, right? You look mm. for things that I think if I use this pen, this is what I happen to have. If I use that pen symbolic of a solution, I think I'm going to get 90% of the way to my goal. That would be wonderful. And it's very cheap, but it's uncertain. So what do you do? You do that first, iteration. You choose to do your uh, solutions that has high, high gain, but also high risk to try them out with your learning engine called evolutionary delivery. We're called short cycles of delivery of value. So you, you, you uh, eliminate the uncertainty by doing it for real. Hmm. And if it works, then there's no uncertainty because it works. If it doesn't work, there's no uncertainty because you know it doesn't work, <laughs> right? So that's how I would eliminate uncertainty, by doing it early uh, and measuring the effect I get up against what I'm trying to achieve, the mm. outcomes. One of the hardest parts about this, I would assume, is learning how to decompose the expected value you want to deliver into smaller value increments so that you can actually work in those short cycles, let's say a week. What are some tricks of the trade that might be useful for the people listening? Because this has to be a skill of its own, right? Exactly. It's a skill in itself. And most people can see that working on other systems or if we have everything in place and we're just improving it a little bit. But how do you get started? How do you get, like one principle I have is like next week, you should deliver real value mm. to real stakeholders, no matter where you are at the very beginning of the project. How do you get there? And that's a skill in itself. Now, uh, and I already given the listeners uh, one big clue there. Uh, well, uh, two. <laughs> First clue is you have to define the outcome. It's, it's, it is really the first thing. So if you, if you don't have the outcomes that you're trying to achieve and you're just trying to, to take something and break it up, uh, you're, you're going at it completely wrong. Think about that aircraft again. You know, how do I deliver an aircraft next week when I have nothing? Yep. Well, it's a little bit hard. And, and then 
And then, you know, you think, well, I have to build. No, you don't build. You deliver value each week, not builds. <laughs> so, so you need to define the outcome and understand that's what you're going to deliver, not something building. You don't have to build some anything. You have to deliver value. Whether that means building or not is secondary. Maybe destroying something, taking something away will give value, right? Okay, so that's number one. Number two is another principle I already talked about, which was um, uh, s always start on something <laughs> that is already existing. And people say, well, there's nothing existing in my space because this is brand new technology. Again, they're thinking the solution. They're, they're stuck in the solution frame. The, the, the customers, their customers that they're trying to deliver value to are doing their job already. And maybe they're doing it manually. Maybe they're, maybe they're doing, you know, pen and paper. And then you're coming with this super AI automatic, automatic, you know, software system. So you think there's nothing in there because they're doing it on paper. And no, no. Then you start with the paper and build on it. Even though the mm. final result is going to be the latest AI that humans have not even yet thought about, <laughs> um, you start with a paper saying their process is they take a pen and they write down the price. How can we improve on that? And then you keep improving. So that's, that's, a tr that's one of the tricks to, um, to figure out how mm. do you get started with value. Focus away from your technology into the value that you're going to deliver to your customers and, um, and look, and, and then don't start with your technology, start with their technology. And then slowly <laughs> move into your technology. Yeah. Right? So that's uh, the trick. Now, uh, we have, we have, you know, we teach methods, right? So we have like 21 methods or tricks like this. I, I mentioned two mm. for how to break things up into short uh, cycles. Um, but so, so the reader can, you know, go, they can go to guild.com and they can look for uh, yeah. materials. Like you're saying, you've been studying uh, from, from that uh, site. There's lots of material there, but there are, among other things are things like, and this, this has to come from a little bit of experience, but believe mm. there is a way. Just know, actually sort of know, first you have to start with believing because you don't know. But once you've done this a, a few times, you cracked it, you found the first evolutionary step that delivers value where nobody thought there was a way. Once you found that again and again and again, you realize that there's always a way. There's no... There's no situation where you cannot deliver some value to some stakeholders next week, right? So that, that's a, a, another trick there, some stakeholders, not always end customer. Uh, so what I suggest is you define all your stakeholders. You make a list, not just the user, <laughs> but the 30, 40, 50 mm. other stakeholders that have a stake in your project that you may have to deliver value to or at least not you know, destroy the value for. And, uh, and you, you list those and then you think, ah, 
who of these stakeholders could I possibly give some value to next week? Yeah. Right? So again, away from your technology, back to the stakeholders and looking at not just the end customer kind of end user, but all the stakeholders and start defining, you know, what values are they interested in and can I deliver mm. some value to some of those guys? Um, yeah, we. I, I would say it's better that you find one stakeholder with one value and try to give them at least one little inch improvement on those values using one simple uh, solution uh, and you do that next week in one week. Let's call this a <laughs> one, 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 one principle, right? That's what my, it's my father's method. He calls it the one, 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 one principle. So what people uh, do mistake, mistake is uh, they, they look at the whole big picture and there's so much technology and there's so many stakeholders and they, they all want so many different values. Each stakeholder wants 10 different things and, and then they get stuck. So focus it down. Find yeah. one stakeholder where you can give one improvement to, right? In one dimension, one value. And you give at least one, one little inkling of improvement. Not all the way. You don't have to solve their problem 100%. Let's go back to this doctor <laughs> that is operating, right? And, you know, if, if you can maybe say that doctors has many, many issues, right? They want ease of use. They want security. They want that. They want this. And then there are the nurses and then the hospital you have to think about. And then the laws mm. and regulations is different stakeholders. They all want all of these things. And you get a little paralyzed. You can't do anything. Say, no, no. Let's only mm. think about the doctor and only think about one dimension of what you want to improve and make some real improvement in that dimension. And if you do that for every cycle, you're going to be known as a guy who know how to deliver value where everybody else is just taking forever mucking around with technology. Yeah. So, yeah. So, so that's so some idea. If I try and recap like the essence of what you're saying is that <clears throat> I, I think I hear three things. One is like, know, know your, uh, uh, the people or, or, uh, yeah, stakeholders who, who, who we are delivering to, know what value means to them and then learning how to actually deliver those values or improvements to those values uh, all, uh early and and continuously would that be correct <laughs> that would be fantastic wouldn't it right like imagine if all software developers had yeah. those things down that you just said they list their stakeholders they define the value improvements they want, and they figure out how mm. to improve lives for them, improve their lives, right? It, you know, and then then it doesn't matter how you do it if you if <laughs> you can even use agile, yeah. <laughs> yeah. right? It doesn't really matter. See, that's the wrong. People people are arguing who is more agile. That's completely the wrong discussion. They should argue what you just said. Who is best at understanding their stakeholders, what values improvement, value improvements they want, right. and how to deliver that value to them? Right? Who is best at that should be the discussion. Yeah, it's a discussion to be had on a totally different level. 
yeah. when you when you talk about these things to people or in organizations and your clients, what what's the typical reactions they you get from them? Is it like yeah, this will never work here because we're so special <laughs> or what, yeah, what's that like? Well, depends on how long I talk. So. Uh, there are initial reactions, and and you know they are as varied as there are people. But yeah. I, my experience is, if I get to teach people, uh, you know, may it be the online course, uh, if they actually take that course, or I sit with and train them for a few days on how to do this, just a few days. It's not, it's not like a, a, a three-year study. You know, a few days is what it takes. And then I would say everybody, <laughs> they, maybe there's an odd one, but, uh, you know, if somebody listens to this and they've gone to my training course and they say, no, I don't agree with Kai, please, you know, respond if you're going to have a common field or something. Uh, mm -hmm. I, I, they're almost unheard of. Everybody who does the training course, they say, wow, this is the way we should be doing things. Mm. This this makes total sense. This is superior to anything else. This is how we should do it. I just had a review on my online course on LinkedIn. Uh, you know, some uh, Swedish lady actually, uh, and she and and she was saying, drop all the other courses, just do this course. This mm. so this is uh, this is the the reaction of almost everybody who learns to do this. Now, from there to changing the culture seems to be a big step. That's where it stops. Uh, it doesn't stop in it doesn't stop in people don't understand it. It's easy to understand. It doesn't stop in people don't think they can do it. People are mm. smart and skillful. Most people that are in software development are very intelligent people. They can learn and do things. Uh, it doesn't stop in that people don't think it's the right thing to do. Almost everybody thinks this is the way we should do it. Or some version of it, at least, right? I have mm -hmm. a version. I have an expression of it. Of course, there are alternatives. But the big pictures, like you said, figure out the outcomes. You know, you need to have those. Even though you can figure out the outcomes slightly differently than I do, uh, mm -hmm. that's okay. But you have to figure out the outcomes, <laughs> uh, yeah. et cetera, right? And so it doesn't stop there. So people uh, believe it, they understand it, they think they can do it, they think their organization should do it. But then that's where it either stops or it doesn't stop, right? That you have change <laughs> agents that are people to make that change for their culture and they're not. We have at Intel, they have trained 20,000 engineers in this. 20,000 engineers where we've trained the trainers and the, the key guy that make this, there is a lot of uh, uh, people, of course, but the key driver, Eric Simmons, he did not only study our methods, he, he was an expert on how to create change in cultures. I don't provide that training. You need to go elsewhere. Uh, but there's a lot of good uh, you know, techniques on how do you create change in culture. And so he was an expert in that, and he created a huge change in Intel using these techniques uh, with 20,000 people trained at various levels. Plus, you know, it's like an ever-growing number. Mm. Um, yeah. So, but the first step is, of course, to 
learn and then evaluate yourself, even though I say everybody loves it, doesn't mean that you believe it mm. before you have yeah. done the training. So you need to you need to dive into this one way or another. There are almost free ways. There are free ways. Go to guild.com, uh, download competitive engineering book. We give it away completely for free. If you're a good study, read that, understand that it's free, right? And then we have the online courses, which is a thousand bucks, super cheap and a solid course. I think you did that, right? Um, and then, you know, you can have uh, me or somebody else come and train your train you and that would be in the company. Mm. I with my new job, I'm not going to do public courses anymore. Yeah. Yeah. So so now it's in-house or or online course <laughs> or self-study mm. on the books, right? So uh you know, and, and so the cost comes up a little bit as you go from the free book to online course to having me come and train you guys. Mm. Uh, but you need to you need to dive into that and figure out for yourself because you're you the reader or the listener uh, tend to be super smart. You just need to uh, you need to get this knowledge so that you can make a decision, and then you need to figure out how to spread it. and And then mm. you go not for, not to me. Actually, uh, I suggest uh, contact UC and maybe UC will be like a driving force for you to uh, to help you, uh, you know, make this happen in your organization. He can, I don't know, I'm guessing, but I, I'm guessing he could uh, do that job uh, really well for you where you hire him and he can come in and he could uh, make sure that, uh, you know, people follow the method, teach them, implement it, be, be like an implementer. Yeah. What do you say? Is that a good yeah. idea? Yeah, 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 I'm all good with that. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, but you mentioned the uh, book, uh, Competitive competitive uh, Engineering. engineering. Um, yeah. I think I've read that. It's it's a... It's it's a book you don't read like in half an hour and uh, just like yeah I got this. Yeah. Um, it it takes time to sort of uh, you have to indulge yourself in it. So the 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 new company that I just joined, Graphmetrics, the founder there, uh, he tells me he's read it thoroughly nine times, and it's yep. completely full of notes. And what he has done is actually extremely cool. He has not just used the methods to um, to plan his own products, our products now because I'm joined the company, <laughs> but he has built the principles into the uh, core of the tool. So mm. we are this. Let's go there a little bit before we end. So yeah. Um, these, as you know, these methods are extremely cool for understanding outcomes and prioritizing, etc. Now, what if we build us into the tool? What he has developed with other things as well, right? The, where, where he's using the value first or competitive engineering, you know, we talked about that book. Uh, mm. Principles, his inspiration is a competitive engineering book. Uh, he, he built that into the tool. And what he has developed is a brand new type of uh, artificial intelligence. It's mm -hmm. artificial intelligence is great, is big today, right? Lots of new development, yeah. lots of things happening. 
but it's uh, and there are diff- few different types. Uh, but if I were to do the Kai simplification, which I you know everybody's into AI is going to cry when they hear this. But it's a little bit of like you you have a result you want, and then you have uh, you try out many many different uh, alternatives, and it finds the path to uh, to get the result. Uh, at least that's that's kind of one type of AI, right? You mm. you throw in, so you have to teach it. So you throw in different, um, you know, different things in one end, and it it trickles down and it finds the patterns that leads to the result you want. Uh, mm. So so this is one type, and it's it's um, it's very useful for lots of things. Uh, at the same time, it doesn't actually understand anything. It has some limits. It has lots of limits of what it can do. It's not a human, you know. That that type of AI is not human type of AI. Yeah, he has invented what we call conceptual AI, a new new form, using these methods where it understands like humans does, and can evaluate and make decisions and reason like humans. So. There's a reason why I jumped ship. This is going to be huge and is built on those principles that you know, that you learn yep. in the online course, right? And, and like I said, and lots of really, he, this guy is brilliant, uh, Frederick Gibson. So he's built in using these and lots of other uh, really cool technologies. Um, uh, yeah, we, we call uh, we call our we call the AI we call uh, Trinity. We, we named her. So <laughs> of course, <laughs> yeah. So Trinity uh, is going to sit and and do AI, and we're already using it for things. So mm-hmm. and you you talked about construction uh, earlier, like light construction. You said, and actually he comes from construction, and uh, one of the things. Um, we use it for is uh, uh, in construction there they make uh, there are many players many stakeholders mm. right to make a building to make a skyscraper there are many many people and they use many many different tools and uh, they produce you know drawings and diagrams and requirements and whatever they, you know whatever they are and and then they have planning tools and uh, uh uh, they build, they try to pull all, all this in together and sort of like software, but there's lots more players and interests. Uh, they try to harmonize and, and make the building, so to say. Right. So, uh, but one thing they, they do is they create uh, uh, drawings of, you know, construction drawings, you can imagine. And they mm-hmm. use like big space and all the little details of the, the drawings. And, um, and then they put this into tools. Like one tool is called uh, Aconex, it's from Oracle. Uh, and they have to upload all these drawings into the tool. It's like a project management tool. And, yeah. and then they have to um, uh, say what kind of drawing this is, piping, and this is, you know, categories, so they can find it. Uh, now, what he has done, first little thing we've done with the AI, the conceptual AI, is we take these drawings and as a human, you that don't know anything about construction, uh, you see, you should, if I ask you, what, what is the document number on this? You have no problem finding it. Mm-hmm. If I ask you even what is the category this is about, you take a look and you figure out 
maybe, if it is plumbing or electricity or mm. structural, mm. right? How can you figure this out? You don't know anything about construction. You have a conceptual understanding of things, right? You 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 see, oh, that must be the um, uh, that section on the right there must be the uh, information about the drawing, and that's the drawing itself, right? You see the header, kind yeah. of, right? You, you you have no problem understanding what's a header and what's a drawing, right? No problem as a human. So so what we do is we do all of this uh, with AI. We figure out. What it is, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. Is it electrical? Is it structural? And then we find all the links, um, and they're all done in different ways with different drawings, right? The people make little links, and what they have to do is they have to look it up in a PDF, uh, you know, a document number, and then they search and they find. So we create automatic linking between all the documents, mm-hmm. uh, and then we have had uh, we have a, a sort of a competitor that tries to do the same thing. And we are uh, 8,900 or something percent faster and more, more correct sort of in our uh, findings than they are using regular AI. So with the conceptual AI, we're thousands of percents faster, basically, and, and more precise. We, we hit the target. When, when we say that's a link to that, it is actually a link to that. It's not, we don't miss it. So, so that's coming. Uh, with lots of really cool stuff. This co- new form of conceptual AI invented, you haven't heard about it before. It's thinking like a human being and it's based on the value first principles. So, you know, the competitive engineering uh, yep. methods. Isn't that cool? So that's what I'm doing right now. We're, we're uh, uh, working like crazy to get this out. Uh, and uh, this is for construction, but we're making products for for uh, productivity tools for everybody like you uh, and we're coming out uh, you know sort of next month with the first uh, uh, tools uh, so yeah so I'll, I'll sort of what's it called plug plug that you know go to graphmetrics.com check it out it's pretty damn cool and the future of AI conceptual computing it knows everything. It doesn't know everything, everything yet. It knows every. So what we do then is, if uh, it, you need to know everything within the industry you're in. So if right. you're in logistics, you teach it everything about logistics. If you're in, uh, like logistics of trash cans, I guess, and emptying them, you know. So then you you can teach it that. Or if you're a car, you know, you have to know about the, everything that's related to driving and roads and people and traffic and soft traffic and weather and you know everything you need to understand yeah so that's coming and it's based on the same principles we use to succeed in product development it's extremely effective (laughs) yeah um so if we start to wrap things up here let's say you're an um development manager or something like that and you are interested about these things how would you go about uh, contacting you or continuing the journey? Yeah. Um, okay. So, uh, again, like I said, uh, I am now busy creating conceptual intelligence. Uh, that's my uh, number one focus by far. I, I love these methods. I love to help people out. So I am available for people who 
really want to take this forward, uh, you know, for for real. Uh, probably, if you're not a manager, you would have to get your managers aboard first before I'm interested. Um, uh, and I'll help you. <laughs> uh, you know, and that that means you contact me, uh, and we talk, and we look at what you're trying to do, and then we come up with solutions for for making that happen. I I am now uh, actually you see. Uh, I'm now more interested in employing uh, guys like you who are becoming an expert in these methods to maybe do some of the training or at least the follow-up. If I do the initial training and somebody like you come in and do the, the, the follow-up. So, uh, yeah, so that's, that's how I, if I, if I was you, like we talked about the competitive engineering book and it's hard read. I do suggest that you, uh, you take the online course, it's a thousand euro, uh, because then you'll actually learn. And then you do the competitive engineering book, uh, because then you understand what is going on. If you just go into the competitive engineering book, most of you will be a little bit, uh, it's too heavy, it's, it's too sort of deep. So do the online training course, you figure everything out. Then when you do the competitive engineering book, you, all the pieces will fit together. Um, uh, and, and then, uh, you can contact Yussi, he'll help you out. You can contact me, I'll help you out. Uh, I, I am at guild.com. So go to gilp.com and, uh, you know, there's, uh, I'm easy to contact from there. Yep. Well, Kai, this has been an absolute pleasure. Um, thanks so much for taking the time. Thank you. Thank you for having me. And uh, I hope, uh, I, I know I probably stepped on some toes. Uh, I don't really care. I hope I inspired at least one of you guys to, to take a look at what's possible in this direction. And, uh, and keep, keep going to use his channel. I'm sure, you know, he has his head in the right place and, uh, you know, will we'll help you go in the right direction. Thank you. So there you have it, practical and concrete tips on how to actually succeed in your development project directly from one of the most experienced professionals out there. Just to summarize, the key takeaway from Kai are 1. Focus on delivering outcomes or improve values to your stakeholders. How you do that and how you work is secondary or just a means of getting that outcome. 2. Learn how to actually prioritize and select what, what values you should try to deliver next. And 3 figure out ways to deliver those outcomes in small increments early and often so that you can assess whether the chosen designs and solutions actually do deliver the outcomes you expected. If you're interested in learning more, check out the show notes where you'll find a bunch of links to various resources that were referred to during the episode. That's it folks. I hope you enjoyed this episode as much as I did. Leave some feedback or comments and don't forget to subscribe. I'm your host, Yusuf Akela, and this has been an episode of Scraping Toast. Stay safe, and I'll see you next time. Bye-bye.